It's good to be able to have a dear friend, Dwight. I'm going to call you a good friend. Is that good? And uh, has been a, a faithful encourager, mentor to us, walking alongside of us since the beginning. We've been friends for over 30 years. And so uh, I know things about him, and he knows things about me. And if he tells anything about me, I'm going to tell things about him. <laughs> so we got this running, uh, this running relationship. But you're going to be blessed today as he comes. This is what I want you to do today, if you'll do this for me, because when we're done, um, I may ask you a question. And uh, so pay attention today. <laughs> there, there will be a test? Yes. There's a pop quiz. Thanks, Sid. Yeah. Hi, my name is Dwight. I'm a sinner. Those of you that are in 12-step know that part of getting well, 50%, is being able to say, man, I got stuff, and have other people, instead of judging you, other people say, well, me too, right? Hi, my name is Dwight. I'm a sinner. So... If you've got it all together, the great news, you can beat all the Methodists to the restaurants. Because if you've got a couple things to work on, you're in a good place. If you get it all together, or you think you have it all together, you're just going to be really angry at me and your blood pressure is going to go up. So if we have some doctors in the house, it may be helpful. Because if you think you have it all together, you don't. In fact, turn to someone next to you and say, you need to change. I mean, just try that. It's good therapy. You need to change. Just try it. And I feel good. I was in Dallas speaking for business people a couple of weeks ago. They said, what do you do? I said, I help people change. If they're stuck and a lot of painful things happening, that's counseling change. If their life is, is just going nowhere and they're bored and, and they're not living out their potential, they can't answer the question, I was born to do this. Well, that's coaching. But I just help people change. And today we're going to talk about how to raise responsible kids, protect legacy, generational stuff, kids wanting to come home for Thanksgiving because they like you instead of because they think you're going to die and you're going to leave them money. That will get people to show up. They'll come with a U-Haul. They'll rent an SUV. It's like, what's the SUV for? Well, I thought Grandma was going to die, and I thought I could just you know, kind of plunder her belongings. No, that's, that's, that movie's called Pirates of the Caribbean. doesn't happen in Lake County. happens in the Caribbean. If you want a real relationship... People like you, not your stuff. So today we're talking about what's happening. There's a, a, a one sheet, I hope that you have. It's got a lot of key principles on it as we dive in because looking at stressful times and kids out of control is not new. Let's look at the, the slide and, and the quote I want to give you. There it is. The children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders. They love chatter in, places of ex in place of exercise. Children are tyrants, not the servants of their households. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, chatter before company, gobble up dainties at the table, cross their legs and tyrannize their teachers. Socrates, 400 years before Jesus. Wow. And you thought kids being reckless and out of control was new. No. The Apostle Paul would come back about 500 years later in Romans chapter 1, verse 28, 29, 30, 31, and say almost the same thing Socrates said. These people are out of control. They're making bad choices. 
Oh yeah, why is that important? Um, you may remember Socrates in Greek culture at one time, the superpower of the world, they controlled everything, but they didn't pay attention to the main things and they lost their culture, they lost their power, they became a third-rate power. You may remember at one time Rome, superpower of the world, for about 400 years, and they ignored certain things about key family relationships, and their culture collapsed after about 400 years. Oh yeah, in the United States, if you count when the pilgrims landed, 1620, do my math right, oh, we're looking at about 400 years, what's happening in the United States? Same thing. Lose the youth, lose your culture. Well, that's kind of a scary thought, huh? Gee, Dwight, I thought you were supposed to come and make us feel better. Not today. <laughs> Today's about growth. It's sort of like if you have a personal fitness trainer and you just love her, she's great. You go and you, you go to the gym and you meet and then you go to Starbucks and you get one of those frappe things. You don't have a trainer, you have a buddy. And it's great because you, know, you get to pay them and you get to hang out. A trainer, I had one for about six months. I did not like him. <laughs> but I lost 65 pounds, and then I liked him. In fact, I pray for him every day. He's a great friend because he was not afraid to say, you cannot talk about, oh, this is the year I want to lose all the weight and still eat Snickers smoothies. Doesn't compute. If you don't change this, you can't change this. Today is about change. And so let's take a look at some of the stressful things because for today's young people, things are very stressful. When you look at the next slide, you're going to see some of the data. This is uh, from the New York Times a few weeks ago, how to help teens struggling with mental health in the post-pandemic. And then if you go to the next slide, you'll see the CDC says there is a coming mental health crisis among teens. You say, well, I don't have teenagers anymore. Why should I care? If you've traveled internationally, you know that in places where they've lost the youth, uh, think Africa, uh, many parts of Central America, South America, parts of Asia, if you lose young people, you lose the culture. And then your culture really starts to struggle. Now, if you're independently wealthy, no problem. You can move to another country. I hear that Malta is accepting US citizens now, uh, Argentina, uh, some of the Greek islands because just they'll give you land just so that you'll come bring property up because nobody lives there anymore because everybody moved out because they lost the youth and they just want somebody to pay property tax. Here's the part for you and me. And you'll see it on the next slide. If we don't help young people before their brains are fully developed, about middle 20s, then you lose them. Maybe forever. Maybe forever. You may have seen yesterday a high-profile high celebrity suicide so sad. Oh yeah, suicide, number 10 cause of death in the United States. In Florida, it's the number nine cause of death. Among people under the age of 25, it's the number two cause of death. If you don't wanna to go to your daughter's funeral, take good notes today. Because the greatest likelihood, number one cause of death is an accident. Number two cause of death, she'll give up. Yeah, if you feel like you're in life alone and life is hard right now, you bet they give up. And that's why you'll see people on these next couple of slides. Selena Gomez, the most followed woman on Instagram, just launched a mental health platform and starting this conversation about mental health. And on the next slide, you'll see celebrities everywhere. Simone Biles, Michael Phelps, Meghan Markle, Demi Lovato, and they're all talking about mental health and how sometimes they didn't even want to live 
anymore. Why? It's harder than it used to be. It's harder than it used to be. So if you're a parent and you've ever said the words, when I was your age, <laughs> understand that your kids will immediately flip that switch and stop listening to you because they'll think, yes, when you were my age, dinosaurs walked on the earth. I know. And when you think about it, it's harder today than it's ever been for young people. Yes, when you were their age, it was easier. So if you're ever going to say, when I was your age, then make sure that the next thing you say is, things were easier. Right? Let's practice it. When I was your age, everybody say that. Everything was easier. And you say, that's not true. Think about it. When I graduated from college, gasoline was 49 cents a gallon. You're thinking, oh, God, he's old. I mean, my goodness gracious. He is ancient. My college, I went to Liberty University, and my college was $1,500 a semester with books at an accredited private school. Today... It's more than that per class. It's harder today. And when you start to look at because it's harder, I want you to understand, just like in this slide, right? Somebody's having a hard day. I'll go back one. Yeah, that's it. And you see, they thought they had their, their drink and they thought they had their sandwich and it's just not working out. It's harder today. And so I need you to have a word that's hard for religious people. And the word's called empathy. And empathy means instead of judging somebody else, you try to understand them. Great parenting principle. Because the triple L principle of parenting, you love your kids, you all would say, I love my kids, I love my grandkids. Well, if you love them, do you listen to them? Or do you just have all wisdom and, and you give them ideas and you don't listen? Because if you love them and you listen to them, then you lead them by example. So instead of saying, well, my daughter should. Cool, great. Because they were talking about how to create positive change in a family so that people want to hang out with you when you're an old person instead of saying, I'm not going to the funeral if, if he's going to be there. I've been a counselor a long time. I have talked to more people than you can imagine who said, I know it's my biological dad, but I will not get married if he's there. We will go elope. And you say, what did a dad do to cause... Right. You think a dad woke up one day with a little bitty baby and said... I'm going to create so much resentment, you will never want to talk to me again. This would be a great plan. I'm going to destroy you like my dad did with me. Some really popular movies right now, and it kind of makes the mom or the dad the villain, and some of them are pretty shocking. And so you sit down, you look at the psychology, and you see that sometimes the reason that this generation does not like this generation is because this generation was really mean. Here's the exciting news for Christ's followers. We don't have to hand the pain that we got handed to the next generation. Isn't that fantastic? Just because this person was abusive and mean to you, you don't have to be abusive and mean to them. It's a wonderful film called Saving Mr. Banks, and it barely touches on an abuse story that happened right here in Lake County that changed the world. You see, most people don't understand that Elias Disney and Flora Call got married outside of Mount Dora, Florida, January 1st, 1888. They would go on to have five children. The two oldest boys didn't really talk to their dads until they got, you know, after they got old enough to run away. Roy, the third child, 
Roy ran away to the Navy. Walt, the fourth child, dropped out of ninth grade to run away to join the military at the end of World War I. And the youngest child, Ruth, just kind of stayed with mom and dad. There was so much. So in Saving Mr. Banks, it kind of alludes to P.L. Travers, who wrote the Mary Poppins stories, and her dad's alcoholism and bad behavior. And Walt talking about his dad's abusive, just mean, harsh behavior. And you say, why are you telling me this? Because Walt Disney said, wouldn't it be great if, if there was a place that you could go where a dad and a kid could have fun for one day? <laughs> and, and he remembered that place as Marceline, Missouri. When he was about five years old, he had a great day with his dad. And if you've ever been to Main Street, USA, it looks like where Walt Disney had a good time with his dad one time. And he said, what if we could create a place other people could have a, just a fun time with their dad and nobody would scream and be mad? What would it be like to be a kid and not have to have all that pain and feel like for one day my dad could love me? Then what would happen? You could hand to, in Walt's case, his two daughters, Diane and Sharon, oh yeah, and the rest of us, a lot of happiness because you don't have to carry pain. You can stop it. So we're going to look first at teenagers, then we're going to look at parents. First at teens, because when you look at teens, there's a lot of pressure. And here's what Jesus would say about that, because Jesus was a wisdom teacher. He was a rabbi, not really religious, but he was a rabbi that challenged people about behavior. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he challenged people about behavior, and it shocked people's thinking because they said, I've never heard this before. And one of the key principles, if you want to parent effectively, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, don't judge. It actually reads this way, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. So here's how it works. If I judge my kids when I was your age, or if I judge my kids, you should just change that. Well, understand, they're going to think you're a hypocrite. Because they're going to look at inconsistencies in your life and say, what do you, what do you base that on? Just break down the word judge, mental. When you take out the word judge, what word do you have left? Mental. So when somebody's judgmental, it, it works like this, Sid. When they're judgmental, it, it means that they've got like a filter on their head. And when you try to talk to them, they'll say, don't talk to me. I know what I know that I know. And, and, and they've got this filter and they can't see. So everybody else knows they're a hypocrite. They don't realize they're a hypocrite. Because this is called cognitive bias. When somebody has cognitive bias, it filters out truth. It gets stuck just like an air conditioning filter. So you can say, I think you have a problem, and they'll just get mad at you. Here's how you can tell if somebody has bias. It's the coolest thing. They fight a lot. They're mad a lot. They scream a lot. Because when you point out something, they find something in your life they they, want to attack, so you'll shut up about them. You talk about their secret addiction to porn, and they... They'll get all mad and they'll, they'll talk about, you drink too much wine. Or, or you say, you know, this thing in your life. And so today we're just taking the filter off to have a conversation that's not mental. But if you're judging people, listen, you lose people. When you judge them, you lose them. So here's a principle. You'll see it on the next slide. You've heard the phrase, hindsight is 20-20, so is foresight when you know what you're looking for. If you know what you're looking for, and I learned this from my wife because she follows a cult uh, leader group out in Waco, Texas. Um, and I knew that David Koresh was out in Waco, Texas. And I've been to Waco a few times years ago to the Dr. Pepper factory. 
I mean, important stuff. And she said, we have to go to Waco. And this was right before COVID, and we had a trip scheduled, and it was canceled. She said, we have to get to Waco. And I thought, what is it about middle-aged women in Waco, Texas? I mean, they have to get there to bow down to this Mecca, like a silo kind of thing. And it's, it says, and it's and, 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 and some kind of a cult. The Magalolas, the Magalola cult or something. Where people have figured out how to buy the worst house in the best neighborhood and flip it and make a lot of money. Yes, Chip and Joanna Gaines graduated from Baylor, Texas. How come they became very wealthy and other people who graduated from Baylor, same school, walked past those same bad houses in good neighborhoods? What was the difference? They knew what they were looking for. If you know what you're looking for, you can spot a good deal. If you don't know what you're looking for, do not go to Target because you will find. (laughs) Three hours later, as you're pushing your cart through Target, you'll get another cart. And it's like, I need this and I need this. And ooh, look at this one. This is so good, right? If you know what you're looking for, go in, you know, boom, you're out, done. If you don't know, you can miss a whole lot. What if you don't know how to help your kids? Will you lose your kids or your grandkids? Nobody wants that. So here's the part that I want you to understand, because right now, post-pandemic, there's a lot of impulsive things happening. You'll see that on this slide. Impulsive behavior, normal for teens, but it's worse during the pandemic. Now, that dad could really blame and shame her about driving or rescue her and say, honey, don't worry. You know, grandma has an older car, which is sweet, and not let her be part of the repair, and nobody learns anything. So when mistakes happen, of course mistakes happen, you have a chance to learn, everybody learns, and that creates connection. Remember the triple L, love, listen, what happened, and then lead, because one day her child may have a car accident, and you can change an entire generational pattern. That's the coolest thing. You can rewrite the story. But when we look at the pressure, we're going to look at these kind of quick, because first I want you to understand, you'll see on the next slide, There it is. The pressure to fit in, crushed by loneliness. Remember, suicide, the number two cause of death. And then when we look at the next principle, academic struggles have gotten worse because online school is so challenging. And then you'll see the pressure continue on the next slide. Bullies, body shaming, hostility, harassment at the highest levels recorded. If you haven't seen the film on Netflix, it's called The Social Dilemma. The people that invented so much of social media on these things said, hey, guess what? These were designed to create addiction, to hijack a part of the brain so that your your brain could be mind-controlled. You say, Dwight, you are a silly goose. The people that invented it in a documentary called The Social Dilemma outed themselves. I struggle because it seems like many of them outed themselves once they got to about $100 million personal wealth off of it. And they don't let their own children have these because they said, this is heroin for your brain. It's crack to take over your brain. You see, you're making it up. Watch the documentary, draw your own conclusion. But if that's true, and this is about controlling your mind, then you're not driving. Somebody else is driving. And that's kind of a scary thought, especially when you look at the next slide and you start to see the pressure on 13, 14-year-old girls It's what college girl pressure used to be like. The pressure for drugs, alcohol, opioids, 
the big pressure point right now is about age 11, 12 of what you might have gone through in your middle 20s. Your brain was better developed in your middle 20s. The drugs were not as extreme. When you look at the next slide, you'll see that body image pressure to be perfect on Instagram, on social media sites is so intense that many girls give up. And when you look at the next slide, these things are designed to control your mind. And before you say, well, it's all about teenagers, look at the next slide. No, it's adults too. It's adults too. Because if you're not paying attention, and these are handy tools, I use it this morning to be able to map the fastest way to get here. A tool, not a problem. Something that controls your thinking, or worse, blocks you from really seeing your family. Now that's dangerous. That's troublesome. So here's the part I want you to note. When we look at pressures on kids, especially uh, middle school, high school, one of the great pressures is college. Can I even afford college? Do I even have to have college? And then why go to college, you'll see on the next slide, because I have to have a job that matches my purpose and my passion, my life calling, so that in my 20s that I'm living my best life. Except that's pretty hard to do in your 20s. I'm a career coach one day a week, and I help people figure out things. And there's an invisible number above your head that says how much the marketplace thinks you're worth. So if you're like an executive I talked to in Dallas last week, his company currently pays him six seventy-five. A competitor's offering him a million a year, and he said, I'm not sure if I should go with the new company, a startup company, or stay with this company, right? Now, you say, where, where did those numbers come from? Because the number above his head, he adds a lot of value. Oh, he didn't, he didn't graduate from college. Let me throw that part in. You say, can you make a lot of money and not go to college? Sure. If you leverage your skills, your gifting, your talent, your ability, and you, and, and you had somebody like me, right? My parents, neither one went to college. To be honest, neither of my parents finished high school because they were pregnant with me and they dropped out. And they said, you have to have college to be successful. And I want you to know, in the 1970s, that was true. Is it true today? Depends on what you want to be when you grow up. But there's incredible pressure for young people to feel like they have to have their whole life mapped out. And when they don't have it mapped out, they feel like they just want to give up. And that's why some schools, you'll see on the next slide, are actually now starting to teach money management. What a great concept. Instead of teaching them things that they may not use the rest of their life, some schools are saying, we want to teach you about debt. Thank you, Dave Ramsey, for opening a conversation. Because sometimes the 13-year-old who is screaming at her mom, I'll never talk to you again if you don't buy me something that absolutely is designed to hijack my brain. And mom says, oh, I'll work extra hours. And by the time the smartphone's paid for, it's out of date, and we're back to the same cycle of screaming at mom, you have to buy me something that causes me to hate you. That seems like a pretty interesting concept. He said, what would happen if we just had a conversation? Well, in some ways you can't if your son, daughter, or grandchild is above the age of 13. You'll see on the next slide, this is the newest research came up this week. We now know that the brains at about age 13 of teenagers say, I don't want to just hear from my parents. I want to learn from other people. That's just normal brain development. That's why you spend the $75, send them to youth camp. So they can learn from other people. They can hear from other voices that are safe, trusted voices. My parents didn't go to college, but they knew how to help me find good mentors. And so I knew before I went to college what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I knew before I went to college, this is what I want to be doing. Because I had great mentors. All right, so here's the question. 
did your parents give you access to mentors, people to be able to map out a path in your life? And you say, well, no, I never had a mentor. Okay, that, that means you may have wandered around lost for a while, especially for guys. It's interesting, when women get lost, they do this really weird thing psychologically. You know what they do when they get lost? They stop and ask for directions. Weird. <laughs> do you know what men do when they get lost? <laughs> they drive faster when they're lost. I cannot psychologically tell you why. So their life partner and best friend is sitting there going, I thought you said we're lost. We are lost. But we're making great time. Okay, well, all right. (laughs) I want you to understand, teen brains tune out mom's voices. But if there's other healthy voices like youth group, wow. Then somebody's speaking truth to the life of your child. And when you look at the next slide, you'll see that arguing doesn't make it better. Arguing proves who's better at arguing. And that's not a new concept. Because if you go back in time, Galileo, Galileo lived in a time, and he said, because he had a telescope, I think that the earth revolves around the sun. And the religious people and the political people and the government people said, you're a nutcase. Now, I will tell you that if you wear one of these to a county fair, and you say, Galileo, Galileo, people will get out of line, and you can get your corn dog a lot faster. I will say that is true. Because Galileo said, hey, everybody, take your blinder off. Just look through the telescope. You can see. And they said, you're a heretic. They put him in jail. And he spent the last nine years of his life on house arrest. Never went out in public again. Because the prevailing opinion was live behind a mask. And if you don't think for yourself, and somebody says, Republican. And you're not thinking for yourself. Or they say, Democrat. Or they say, guns. If you're not thinking, then they're doing your thinking. I just want you to think. Because the measure, Einstein said, the measure of intelligence is to be able to change. Right? So when we look at change, the Bible would call that wisdom. Let's look at this quote from Eugene Peterson. Peterson said, wisdom is the art of living skillfully in whatever actual conditions we find ourselves. It has nothing to do with information or knowledge. It has to do with becoming skillful in honoring our parents, raising our children, handling our money, conducting our sexual lives, going to work and exercising leadership, using words well and treating friends kindly, eating and drinking healthy, cultivating emotions within ourselves and attitudes toward others that make for peace. And that is why every day... I study a book about wisdom. It's just a wisdom. Wisdom would be uh, the book of Proverbs, right? King Solomon, who gave a lot of wisdom. He didn't practice it later in his life, and he was destroyed by the advice he wouldn't take himself. Wisdom is to live better, and you can measure wisdom. Wisdom is is what Jesus taught. You can measure wisdom because you can measure change. It's not just talking about religious stuff. It's living different. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, it wasn't just, here's what religious people do. It's, here's how to live your life. Do you forgive other people? Do you do unto others as you would have them do unto you? And you say, well, that's a simple concept. Not in his time. It was a radical concept because the rich people and the powerful people and the educated people did whatever they wanted and everybody else, tough tough stuff. And Jesus said, "Um, let's just look at your behavior because you can measure wisdom. That's why I gave you a sheet and you could, or you can download it from the website. These are basic ways to tell if you're changing. 
it's great. Because if I say Democrat, does that mean that they have better body mass index and healthier cholesterol than if I say Republican? Do Republicans have better cholesterol than Democrats, or is it just based on the choices they make with their forks? What do you think? If I say, well, that person, that person went to Florida State, and that person went to University of Florida, great. Which one has a better marriage? Or is it not based on the school they went to, is it based on the choices that they make with their marriage partner? Because I would suggest to you, it doesn't matter if somebody knows Jesus, doesn't know Jesus. If you manage your money a certain way, there will be an outcome. We know that about money. But I want you to know that about relationship. Because wisdom, you'll see it on the next slide, wisdom can be measured, right? Wisdom is to know that you don't know it all and you still make mistakes. Like taking the plastic off of the cheese, right? That would be like, oh, I should take the plastic off the cheese. Now, the exception would be, I don't know. I mean, John, if you're making a sandwich for somebody that you maybe don't like as much, you can say, okay, well, here's your sandwich. Oh, look. Oh, wow. Now, wisdom would be, I'm teachable. Look at the next slide. Because common sense is not common. Now, I want you to know that is not Pastor Sid's truck with the SUV. That is not how you load an SUV. If you can't figure it out, do not attempt this at home. Or the mom trying to put air in her tire with a fire extinguisher. Not sure how that one's going to turn out. Common sense is not common. But when you look at the next slide and the next principle, children learn self-discipline simply by watching their parents. That's pretty basic. So when you look at the next slide and parents say, well, here's the one thing you have to do. No, there's a lot of things you have to do. Growing up responsible, successful is a lot of small steps. It's not one big thing. Right? It's what I call the C equals C formula. Your choices equal your consequences. And if you make a choice to lock up your bike, but you make a choice in a place where somebody could just pick it up, you just lost a bike. Let them learn the lesson because healthy families can talk about hard things. Healthy families talk about hard things if you don't rescue. And the next picture will show you what rescuing looks like. Dad, I bought a couch at Ikea. Um, you, you drive a Kia. I mean... <laughs> How are you going to fit it? And my favorite one, the one in the middle, the, the girl at a community college, uh, she called her dad, and I think she said, the pole just jumped out at me. That was an empty parking lot when she hit that pole, texting her friends. How cool on Instagram. Or the next one, stop saying, I told you so. And better is to just, let's talk about solutions. I told you you should put it over there. I told you so doesn't help people change. Conversations help people change, and best is for you to lead by example. Or this next one is great, is being able to know that mom is charging or thinks she's charging her cell phone by plugging the headphones into um, the, the phone jack, and it's like, that's not how you charge a phone. You see, if a mom can say, I'm not sure how to do this, and a kid can say, I don't know how to do this, and they can have a conversation, together they can learn how to do this. Or look at the next one. If a mom can say, you know what, I always kind of complain and gripe about you should have a schedule and you should have time management or you'll make mistakes. Hey, guess what I did today? I walked in wet cement. We can learn from each other. Or the dad who said, don't try this at your local playground. <laughs> because dads need to change. And if your dad's here, you can say that you might try that, right? I mean, you know your dad. Or the next one, this is a mom who said, you know, I'm going to do that Chip and Joanna thing, and I'm going to really redo the floors, and then paint yourself in the middle of the floor. Sometimes you win, and sometimes you learn. 
if you're teachable. And when you look at the next slide, I can tell you that one of the problems throughout history, people aren't teachable. And you'll see this, Proverbs 29, Solomon said, he who is often rebuked, hardens his neck, will suddenly be destroyed. Why? They weren't teachable. So, you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make him think. And there is a principle, I call it the the reverse Jenga principle of parenting, right? Jenga is a great game where you stack up these things and reverse Jenga because typically in parenting, you're busy saying, here's what you did wrong and here's what you should do and here's what I would do if I were you and nobody's listening. Reverse Jenga is pretty cool because reverse Jenga, instead of telling them what they did wrong, it's so cool. As you say, you know, I think if you did it this way, I think you'd get better results. You want to try that? Let's try that. And I think if you tried it this way, I think it would better support. Because if we have reverse Jenga conversations, we're adding value instead of saying, rah, 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 and nobody's listening. Reverse Jenga is, what would it be like if we could figure out a better way? And, it, and reverse Jenga is not just for young people. It's for all people. Because then instead of saying, you know, I think our daughter is cutting. In a family conversation, healthy families talk about hard things. The daughter could say, I think dad's addicted to porn. In a healthy family, instead of it's just the kids have problems, I think our son's smoking weed. It's the the 14-year-old saying, mom, you drink a bottle of wine every night. Healthy families talk about hard things. Because every day, 60 to 80,000 thoughts go through our mind, and most of it is negative or judgmental. What would happen if 60 to 80,000 times a day you prayed for the people that you loved? 60 to 80,000 times a day you said, I wonder how I could help, I wonder how I could help my husband be more effective at what he does. I wonder what I could do so my wife feels connected instead of lonely because so many women are so lonely. As the marriage goes on, guy's career usually will keep him busy. But the, I mean, so many marriages just die from loneliness. And so responsible choices are foundation for success. And Jesus talked about this as we wrap it up, Matthew 7. Jesus wrapped up the Sermon on the Mount, his wisdom teaching, greatest wisdom teaching from Jesus. Whoever hears these sayings and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain descended, floods came, winds blew, and beat on the house. It didn't fall because it was founded on the rock. In other words, Chip and Joanna Gaines approved. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was the fall. And so when you think about your family, your kids, grandkids, your brothers, your sisters, your extended family, what story is happening? Because story changes everything is the story, we just don't like each other. We don't talk about Bruno. No, no, no. I mean, we don't know. That uncle doesn't exist, because all families have secrets. And Stephen King, the writer, said all families have ghost stories. And some families keep living in them generation after generation, just like his. I like to read biographies. He grew up in an abusive, alcoholic family where he and his brother would sometimes hide under the flooring because their dad's drunken rages were so fierce. And you say, I wonder why he writes horror. Gee, because some of it's easier than his childhood. You don't have to take what you got handed in this generation 
and hand it to the next generation. You can change the story. You'll see that in the next slide. Barcelona, 1992, the most viewed watch at olympics.com is Derek Redmond, whose hamstring, he was favored to win gold, his hamstring snapped, and that's his dad who elbowed past security and said, that's my son, I'm going down to help my son. That's parenting. That's parenting. You say, well, I want that in our home, okay? How do you change a hard heart? Triple L. You love them? You say you do, okay. Do you listen? Are you leading by example? Because if you're not, then sometimes the problem isn't my out-of-control teenage daughter cutting or my grandson who's smoking weed. Sometimes the problem is, oh, God, let me be a better example of how Jesus Christ changed my life. Because when you change, mom, dad, grandma, granddad, when you're able to change and say, I'm a sinner and I've had so many problems and mistakes, but here's how Jesus changed my life. When you change the story, it changes everything. And when you do that, you can raise responsible kids in a reckless world. Pastor said, come close this out. Thank you. Thank you. What'd you hear? Give me something you heard that was, that was that's a take home for you. What? Shame? Change. Y'all got to help me. I'm getting old. All right, Braxton, you're going to have to help me. So you're like my interpreter. So what else did you hear? It's a takeaway. Yes. Okay. Also, to communicate. That's good. What else? Empathy. Bob, you got, you got, Robert, you got tons of empathy for people, right? What else? All right. What else? Listen. Lead by example. How many of us are expecting things of our kids that we ourselves aren't willing to give? How many of them, how many of us expect them to have a relationship with, with Jesus that's personal, that's real, and yet we enjoy coming to church? Did we just hit on the same wavelength? Religion doesn't cut it. Dwight, dear friend, you always touch a nerve. Thank you. Thank you for being here with us today. David, Denise, glad to have you guys here. Uh, Allison's mom and dad are here. They're from Eagles Landing Baptist Church down in Newport Ritchie, and we have a team that is with them that so that they can be here today. Um, and they're leading in worship and preaching and doing children's ministry so Denise and David can be with us, and we're very thankful to have you here. Can we pray together this morning as we prepare to leave? Father, what a, what a great day it is. And uh, Jesus, I'm reminded that change only takes place because of you are the change agent. Jesus, when we come to that place of recognizing the fact that, that we are sinners, and we invite you to come into our heart because we recognize the desperate need in what you did for us, there's a transformation that begins. Father, you're not done with us yet. There's still so much more work to, to be done and that old sign 
um, construction underway, I'm reminded of today. Father, you are continually preparing us as a church to reach into the next generation, to have a, an impact that is going to send ripples, not only just here within our community, but around the world, and I believe that. Help us to be diligent and continue to surround ourselves with people like Dwight that are going to encourage us as well as challenge us. For the person that may be here today that doesn't know Jesus, even today you have the ability to make a decision to trust him, believing that Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins. And if you're here today in that, um, Jesus, I just pray that they'd call out to you and let, let us know so that we can walk alongside of, of them in this journey. As we walk out these doors today, I'm reminded that, Lord, we are your hands and feet. May we not just talk about Jesus, but may others see Christ in us. May there be a difference when we go to the restaurants. Father, that when we are in the business and we're out on the ball fields, wherever we may be, others will see a difference in us because we are being changed into the likeness of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Remind us that we're your ambassadors, that we are to make your name known to the nations. May we be diligent in that. But Father, may that, may that um, challenge, may it be brought back to the home that our first priority is our homes. Help us to be faithful there. Thank you today for our time together for the words of encouragement as well as the words of challenge. Now we go. Now we go to make a difference in Jesus' name. Amen.